Good morning, everyone. Let's stand and sing praises unto our King. chapter 3 says because of the Lord's faithful love we do not perish for his mercies never end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness amen let's pray together God thank you uh, for being consistent Uh, thank you for being the same person at night that you are in the morning thank you for letting us know you Uh, thank you for letting us know your word Uh, thank you for the the ability to understand you Lord I ask you for this this time that we have allow us to put away our distractions our worries our fears God it's all about you thank you for loving us Jesus and I pray amen well good morning family soak it in you know what that's called it's called air conditioning family it's it's hot outside it's going to be so hot and sweaty to the outside but it is nice and cool in here I'm glad I'm here. Thank you. Hey, we're we're glad you're here. Hey, if you were watching online, you are not appreciating this nice, cool building right now. We miss you, but we're glad you're here. Uh, Sometime during the service, will you take just a minute or two for your connection card? Otherwise, we came to worship God, so let's get back to it. may be seated. Jesus, I must tell 
beautiful song. Thank you, Kim. All right. Hey, let's go one more slide up, and you're going to see where we're at this, this week. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you've been with us, we've been starting an Ephesians series. We're going to be in there today. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I wasn't joking about soaking that air conditioning up. I, I spoke at a little church one time, and when they would turn the baptistry on, it was almost like a hot tub. And so it would, it would heat the entire room up, um, and the air conditioner couldn't keep up. And by the time I went home, I was wringing my socks out. So it is, it is so nice to sit in a nice, cool building. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Hey, this first part's not for you. It's, it's only for my kids, so don't, don't listen. I got some questions. I got questions for my kids. Elika, <clears throat> why do melons have to go to church to get married? They can't elope. Uh-huh. <laughs> Javen, what do you call a book club that's been stuck on the same book for years? A church. <laughs> and what do preachers say to get rid of insects in the church? Let us spray. Huh? You know, I saw those and I, I started laughing because it's... We have all these, these puns about church and these jokes about preachers, and, and here we are today, and we're going to be in Ephesians, and I've got bad news for you, fellas. Some of you have probably got on that bits and pieces of the, of the Bible are written in different directions. Parts of the, the scripture, like the, the Gospels, they're, they're describing who Jesus was, what he did. Uh, it's really good for some new believers to jump in there and say, this is, this is our Savior. Uh, we've got a lot of Old Testament that's, that's wisdom-based, that says, hey, live like this, it will help you. We've got history in the Old Testament that's describing where we're going. And then there's pieces of the scripture that's written to the church. And family, this is, this is us today. So if, if you are, have said, hey, I love Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, bad news. Uh, everything today is written about you. So you can't tune out and say, oh, this is for someone else. This was written to a church, um, and so this applies to people in the church today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to do a little bit of reading today, but we're not going to read the same passages over and over. So we're going to read chapter 2, the first chunk of Scripture, and we have to look at it all together. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, follow along with me. We're going to read all the way through verse 10. It's, it's a little bit of Scripture here. <clears throat> And Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this the world, following the prince of the power of... I'm sorry, my, my eyeballs are circling. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children at wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of the works, so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, we, we look at that, and it's almost like Paul is almost ranting about being saved by grace, and it's, it's our very first point. It's, it's very simple, and if you've been to church, this, this word grace comes up all the time. It's simply grace to the sinful. So Paul goes on this several-paragraph rant almost, talking about what was, what was done for us, uh, that we were once sinners, but we were loved, so we've been paid for, and it's this rant about about being loved even when we shouldn't be loved. You know what's funny here? The same thing is going on in churches all across the country that's Paul is addressing. If you don't know much what's going on, what Paul is simply doing is, is reminding the readers what grace is and how they have grace bestowed upon them. 
It's the same thing for us. There's no difference. But what's interesting here is in verse 11, in just a few short words, he cuts right to the heart of the matter. Look right there in verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision. Do we overlook that sometimes about what was going on? And there was something going on in the church that was kind of common. So all of a sudden, we, we know our church history, and if you don't, we'll, we'll do a real quick, real quick brief. The Jewish were considered God's favored people. Jesus came, and Jesus said, preach the gospel to all people, Jews and Gentiles. That means God's chosen people and the, the people that were not what he would consider their, their favored. So Jesus was quite clear. You go to the world and preach everybody. It's not just simply the, the Hebrew people that get God's message. It's everybody. So all of a sudden, all these Gentiles, they were not Jewish people, started saying, hey, I, I heard about Jesus. Um, I'm going to follow Jesus. I, I like this. I, I believe in Jesus. And so you had two group of people now showing up. You had the Jewish, the circumcised, and all of a sudden you had these, these followers of Jesus who were not circumcised. And we know what started happening. People in the circumcised group were looking at the uncircumcised group, and they were having issues. And you know what's funny to me is, is we do something very similar today. See, the, the circumcised were looking at the uncircumcised, and they were saying, that is a sin. They have got to work on it. And so we all, we all do this. Now, there's, there's always one or two people in the church that does this. And they're, they're no fun. And I'll, I'll ask this question. I know there's one or two in here. And I'll say, what would be the group of people today that you would look at across the church and say, oh, they're the uncircumcised. They've got to work on that. They've, they've got to fix that. And it wouldn't be the, the circumcised discussion. It would be whatever, dot, 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 that you would say. Now, I know there's always one or two people in the church that will, will lift their head and go, oh, that's not me. All sin is sin. It's, it's not, everything is bad. And that's true. So you're no fun. Don't, don't participate here. What is the sin of your neighbor that you would look at and say, they really need to work on that. I would prefer not to sit beside them at church until they get that sin taken care of. Don't say it out loud. See, I've got one. I've got one. I've got a couple. And I would love to say, if you asked my opinion, this is a really bad sin. You've got to work on it. But if I said that, someone listening would say, uh-oh, that's the sin I'm dealing with. And someone from stage said, I've got to work on it. That means it's a much worse sin. So I can't say it. I can't say that. But see, we all have something that we would look at at others and say, they have really got to work on that. Just like the Jews were doing to the Gentiles. They weren't looking at them saying, hey, they're following Jesus. What they did is they looked at the separate group of people and they said, okay, you're following Jesus, but you're missing something. And churches do that all the time. We say, okay, you're following Jesus, but you're missing something. And what we do is we put a personal spin on that that we have decided Let's just, I'll, I'll, I'll make an example. My biggest pet peeve in the world is people who spit their gum on sidewalks. That might be my all-time pet peeve because somehow my left shoe, right in the middle, right in the middle where it's at, where it doesn't wear out, it's just right in the, you know, because I, I don't walk proper. So you get that glob and you just can't work it out ever. My biggest pet peeve is people that spit gum on the sidewalk. Now for me, it would be like me saying, if the scripture said, thou shall not spit thy gum on thy sidewalk. And I would walk around and say, that's the sin you've got to work on. And so ask yourself this question. What is it that you would look at from someone else that you would do the exact same thing? Because I believe 99% of us do this. We have something, a perceived sin in someone else's life that we look at and say, they've really got to work on that. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about. See, Paul goes into this great big rant about that we are all sinners and that grace was bestowed upon anyone that was willing. We're all sinners. We're all fallen short. And then he comes right there and addresses it. And he talks about the circumcised and the uncircumcised. He comes right to the heart of the matter. This is what they were struggling with, the two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews were looking at the Gentiles saying, hey, you're following Jesus, but you're still missing one thing. So what is it that we would look at from someone in the church to say, you're following Jesus, great job, but you've got to work on this. And that's a problem. 
there's this passage in it, vaguely familiar, and I, I believe Jesus said something about taking the plank out of your own eye before you help the splinter in someone else's. Maybe that's vaguely familiar to the rest of you. Do you know why we do that? Because it's always easier to look at our neighbor and look at what they're doing wrong than it is to look at ourselves and say, this is what I need to work on. And that's exactly what Paul is discussing here. It's grace to the sinful. We should always be aware that we are sinful people and we need to have grace. I can say with a fair amount of certainty, some of the biggest problems I have personally had in my life in the church is when someone has come to the conclusion that I am not perfect. I, I'm, people laugh, but I mean it. I mean it. When they get this realization that I am a human being man, that I've got shortcomings, I've got weaknesses, I have had major problems when people have come to that, that statement. And I said, I'm not a saint, and I never pretend to be, but it has caused problems. And I can say with a fair amount of certainty, a lot of the drama and the struggles we face in the church is when someone has realized the person they are sitting beside is not a saint. Surprise! We are all sinners. There is, there is no one in this room that can't look at their own life and say, man, I can, I can work on that. I get really tired of people, those, those statements, and everyone's heard it. Oh, I can't go to the church full of hypocrites. You know what I think happened? I believe the people that say that has put someone on a pedestal that shouldn't be there anyways. And when they realize they shouldn't be on the pedestal, they were disappointed in themselves and that person. And I want to say none of us here should be on a pedestal. None of us. So Paul is writing to believers, us, that when we come to church and we come to worship together, stop focusing on the sins of those around us and stop focusing on, on the shortcomings that we think they need to work on. This is the grace chapter. We should have grace. All right, let's, let's look again. This time we're going to read verse 11 and, and follow a little bit. This will bring us to our second point. And I think these words are really cool here. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, look at these words, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers in the covenant of the promises, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're going to stop there. Grace to the outcast. I love those words. Separated, alienated, strangers. Sounds like, a, sounds like someone who's missing hope, isn't it? Sounds like someone that has no family. It sounds like someone who feels like they're all alone. I love the fact that, that Paul wrote this. He's sitting in prison and he's thinking about, about who he's writing to and he's reminding him that you were once separated. You were once aliens. You were once outcasts. You were once alone. And I, I, really, I really think that's pretty, kind of, pretty cool. Here we are. We were all a bunch of outcasts. We were all once just alone. And now we have family. And see, we need to have grace to the outcast. Let me, let me tell you what that means to me personally. I love TV shows about jail. Not like fake TV shows. I like documentaries about, about individuals in jail. And I love when they interview uh, guard, guards keepers and guardsmen. Guardsmen? Whatever. I, I like that. And, and I've, I've heard it said several times that the death row inmates, the guards that guard the death row inmates, they're, they're typically the, the higher-end guards. They're the ones that have the most experience. They're the ones that's been around. They're the ones that's seen some things. Because when they go in death row, uh, it's, it's been said that the death row inmates, especially those who have exhausted all possibilities of ever changing that sentence, they have no hope. And when you deal with people without hope, they're completely unpredictable. And so they take the, the most experienced guards and they put them there because you're dealing with a bunch of individuals that have no hope for the future and they're unpredictable. And so you've got to have a guard that's ready at all times for whatever's going to come at them because it's dangerous. And you know what, family? I want to say this to you too. We're the same guard. See, we're living in a world that a whole bunch of people have basically given up. 
they say, I'm alienated. I feel alone. I feel like I'm an outcast. I feel like I had no family. And when people lose all hope, people get dangerous and unpredictable. And family, I'm going to tell you, we live in a dangerous world. We, we live with dangerous people. We live with unpredictable people. We live with people that feel like there is, there is no hope in this world. And so why is Paul talking about this? Because Paul's saying, show grace to the outcast. Show grace to the outcast. Show them, show them that they're not alone. Show them that there is a place. And you deal with them in a way that you know that sometimes they're unpredictable. But family, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Churches sometimes get hard-hearted. We do that. I do that. We go, oh, I tried. I tried, I, I tried to invite them in, but they, they rejected me. They hurt me. They, they lashed out at me. And so I, I don't want to do that. And oftentimes we, we basically quit. Why? Because when the church really functions like they should, what we're going to do is we're going to open our door and we're going to have unpredictable people in the church. We're going to have people that lash out in the church. We're going to have people that, that have, for the best way to, to put it gently, is, is we have people that are, are trying to hurt us in, in our church. And family, I'm, I'm like you. I like, I like predictability. I like to know where I'm going to sit when I come into church. I love my structure. I like to know what's going on. I like to know when the communion is going to be served. I, I like to know where the offering baskets are. I, I like that. I like to know when the, opens are, the doors are going to be open, the doors are going to be closed. See, we, everyone says, I like change until we change something we like. <laughs> and honestly, this is, this is part of the reason why I like First Christian Church so much. See, I've been, I've been involved in a lot of churches, and not all churches, not all churches are as good as this church, especially when it involves with young people. See, in, the, in our church here, First Christian Church is really cool. We've got a lot of kids here that, that, for the most part, their parents don't go to church. And so when they step foot in these doors, they're, they're not churchy kind of people. You don't know what to expect. And oftentimes, those, those teenagers we have here and kids that we have here look at our church building as if it's nothing more than a school. So it's a school building. And it, kids will ride on a school building wall. They'll break the equipment. They'll, they'll poke holes in the wall on purpose. It's because they don't know any better, honestly. They don't think about, hey, someone's tithe is going to fix this. They don't think of the fact that, hey, there's, there's going to be some of our senior citizens out in the grass picking up the little pieces of balloon on Monday morning on their hands and knees when they can't stand up afterwards. They don't think of that because all they look at it is the building. Why? Because it's, it's like them. They're unpredictable. We don't know. They, they don't know what it's like. They're, they're not part of the family yet. They're outcasts. They're alienated. They're separated. And what's really cool about First Christian Church is for the most part, no one's really complained. You know, especially you come in here on a Sunday after the harvest party and there's hay everywhere. There's candy wrappers everywhere. There's pieces of the toys like separated through the church. And for the most part, church is really good about not grumbling. And so it's a reminder to the, the church that hey, this is, we're dealing with outcasts. We're dealing with people who feel, like, who feel like they're a stranger. We're dealing with people who sometimes feel like they don't have hope. And so what we should do is we should do just like the prison guards do. When the guards are in prison and the, the inmates start saying nasty words to them, for the most part, the, in, the guards just let it roll off their back. They don't even listen. It goes one ear out the other. They, they don't even hear it. Because they're so used to it, they know they know that these people are hurting. They know that they're stuck. They know that they're trapped. They know that they don't feel like they have any hope, but they're there to make sure everything goes smoothly. And that's what, that's what First Christian Church should do. That's what churches in general should do, is we should be here to simply say, hey, you're the outcast. You feel like you're alienated. Come on in. Hey, you lash out at me. We're not going to write you off. We're going to love on you still. Hey, you do things that we don't particularly care for. It's okay. Come on in. We'll, we'll welcome you back. Hey, you poke a hole in our wall, teenagers. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. We'll patch it up, and we'll just tease Jerry about it later. No big deal. This is important. This is so important to church growth. Because without that, we start slowly dying. If we can't look at the world and say, you're always welcome in our, our doors. If we can't do that, we're going to start slowly, slowly, slowly aging out. And we're not going to be around much more. All right, let's do one more. And we'll read it. And we'll be in our third point. And here's where I, I believe, I believe that there's a soapbox in, in prison. Paul is on it right here. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might come in himself one new man in place of the two so that making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, by the Spirit, for God, by the Spirit. It brings us to our last thing in it's misunderstanding grace. And it's interesting here because in the midst of Paul being in prison, he writes to the church in Ephesians, talks about a little bit about their divisions they're having, and then all of a sudden in the middle, he goes on this long-winded rant, jumps up on his side, his little soapbox, and he starts telling them how we are now unified to Jesus. He bought us and he paid for us, that we are now one, and that we're being built into a temple of God right in the middle of this. And I think it's because them, like us now, oftentimes we misunderstand what grace is. There was a poem uh, released in 1966, and some of you might, might recognize this poem because they, they put it to a tune. <clears throat> but let me, let me read the, the words of this poem here. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream. Waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Ah, look at all the lonely people. Look at all the lonely people. Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. No one came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walked from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people. Look at all the lonely people. You know, I look at that and this song has been rotating in my head for hours. I wonder, see Paul right here in the midst of, of all this just flips a switch and he starts ranting to these people that have said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. This, this group of believers that were once outcasts, but they're now, now they're part. And he goes on this big rant about, about being saved by Jesus. Why? And I, I think them, like us, oftentimes we misunderstand what grace is. See, I think about that a lot when I, I start thinking about churches. This song pops in my head a lot, all the lonely people. And I think, how many people in church had the same problem? There's so many people, believers and non-believers alike, walking around thinking they're not good enough, thinking they're not reaching enough people, thinking they're not good enough believers. Or they... They feel like they don't have the right words when someone asks them about their faith. Or they think that they don't have enough understanding of Scripture. Or they think they, they just have too many problems. Or they think that they have so much baggage. You know, what's interesting here is, is why did Paul, in the middle of all of this, write about the fact that Jesus unified them and that they are being built into something? Why? Because it's a reminder of what grace is. I'm going I'm to tell you. Here's, here's my, my secret response for those who are walking around thinking they're not good enough. We're not. For those thinking they're, they're not going to reach enough people, we're, we, we probably aren't. Who thinking they're not good enough believers, we're probably not. What makes it okay is grace. See, I believe a lot of people, believers and non-believers alike, are walking around believing that they have to earn something. I'm going to tell people right now, we can't earn it. There's no way. 
we will never be good enough. We will never do enough. And we have believers doing that. And if you want to know what we're doing Sunday night, this is part of it. See, I believe a lot of people are taking different beliefs, religious beliefs, and they're dumping them into Christianity, and we're acting like that's okay. And one of them is, is this idea of karma. If you do good, do good, ha- good things happen to you back, right? We all know what karma is. If you do bad, bad things happen to you. And we, we say that because it sounds logical. But the problem is, is when we mix the idea of karma, that if you do good things, good things will happen back. And when things don't happen good back to you, you go, oh, I'm not doing enough good. I got to do more. And we, so we do more. And then when good things don't happen, we go, oh, we're not doing enough. We do more. And then when it doesn't happen, you know what we say next? Our next logical step is, I guess God doesn't love me because I'm not receiving the blessings. And see, that's what we do. We, we mix all these beliefs in one pot and we stir it up. And then we, we say, I'm a Christian, but I've got sprinkled in all these other religious beliefs. And see, when, when Paul is talking about this idea of grace and that we're being, we're being bought and we were bought and we're being built as a temple, why is he saying that? Because nothing we can do is earned. We can't. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good for Jesus to say, okay, you made your way to heaven. The only thing that we can do is simply say, Jesus, you're good enough. I accept you. Let's go forward. That's that's what grace is. So he's simply reminding them that no matter what they do is good, it's not going to get them into heaven. Jesus gets them into heaven. They're never going to be good enough for God to say, okay, you're chosen. You come on up. There'll There'll be no such thing of that without Jesus Christ. And he's reminding, I believe, and me, he's reminding believers and non-believers alike, you cannot earn grace. Grace is given. You can't do more good to offset your bad. It, It doesn't work that way. Why is he telling that to churches? I believe part of it is oftentimes we look at others and we think they need to earn our grace. We look at them and say, oh, you're not quite good enough. you got to do more. No way. It doesn't work that way. And here's the, the sad thing. Is if you expect someone to earn your grace, if you expect someone to earn your grace, you are expecting Jesus to expect you to earn your grace. If Jesus gave his grace to us freely, we need to give grace to others freely. And see, I believe oftentimes we misunderstand what grace is. If we understand what grace is for real, we are not stingy with our grace. We are generous, we give it freely, and we give it excitedly. And I wonder if, if in the middle of all this, this writing, if Paul is, is pointing out these, these ideas of you are bought and paid for and you're saved and you're being built and here came Jesus and all this change. I wonder if if Paul was saying to himself, I go to jail for preaching the gospel and all you guys do is bicker about what someone else hasn't done. I wonder if Paul ever got kind of irritated and said, come on guys, man, we got some bigger fish to fry. Stop worrying so much about these small things when there's big things to be worried about. We do that. And if we had grace for for people like we should, a lot of the small issues that we struggle with would disappear. Because we would look at them and say, hey, you know, they're not perfect. They're just someone trying. There's someone trying to, to, to make it, trying to, to follow Jesus, to, to do the best they can. I'm not going to put them on a pedestal because I know they're a sinner just like me. When we really understand what grace is and we really start living the grace out, I believe it will change churches. I'm not saying First Christian Church is bad, don't get me wrong, but any church can be better. I believe when we really understand what grace is, a lot of these small problems that churches face, a lot of the struggles that churches face, they're going to disappear. Why? Because we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about the big stuff, the stuff that means people are outside these walls right now and they feel alienated. They feel alone. They feel like they have no hope. They feel like they have no family. And you know what, family? That's that's us. We can reach them. We can tell them. We can show them. We can love them. We could be patient with them. We can laugh with them. We can cry with them. We could celebrate the ups and the downs. And that happens when we understand what grace is proper.
in a few seconds as our praise team comes up to lead us in a song of decision. If you have not made that choice to accept the grace of Jesus Christ, today's the day. Come on down. We'll, we'll welcome you with open arms. Um, we'll baptize you. It's going to be amazing. Celebration in heaven. Hey, if you're watching online, you want to get, get baptized, you want to make a choice, hey, get a hold of us in the office. We're always around. We'll make something happen. Maybe you're having a rough week. You want some prayers? Hey, come on down. We'll, we'll welcome you with open arms. We'll pray with you. No judgment. Hey, if you're watching online, you got some prayers, put that on your connection card. Uh, we pray about them. We look at them. If it's confidential, mark it. If you're a baptized believer, you'll be part of this family. Hey, we'll, we'll welcome you. Come on down. Let's stand as we get ready to sing. Psalm 5, find it here. Psalm 5. Fingers are not working too small, too well today. 
chapter 7. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence, I will bow down to, toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their, let their intrigues be your downfall. Another <clears throat> translation called the message puts a little different tone to it. It says something that says the same thing, but the message says, soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Rub me and I'll have a snow white life. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, <clears throat> make a fresh start for me. It's a good feeling to be clean, to come clean, to be cleansed from every bit of dirt. And my wife and I have this little going thing <clears throat> have had through the years she wants to take a bath she doesn't like showers she wants a bath she wants to come clean sometimes she needs to I mean uh, It's a good feeling to come clean, to be cleansed from every little bit of dirt. This is a feeling that many people have. They often describe how they feel following their baptism. Clean. Feeling that you've become cleansed, deeply cleansed. I remember April the 1st, 1951. That's the feeling I had as I came up from the baptismal waters. I'm cleansed. I'm clean. I'm pure. Every bit of dirt in my life has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. At that moment, I couldn't be any cleaner. But even clean things become dirty again. Laundry does not stay done. Clothes don't stay clean. And we do not stay clean. We fall into the pits of sin and degradation on a daily basis. Maybe we don't succumb to the big sins that the, as the world classifies them. But even those little slips... Gary said, we're all sinners. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all fail to do things we should do. They make us dirty again. And we're faced again and again with the need to come clean. We pray for forgiveness, as we should. We repent of those slip-ups, as we should. But for me, there's no better time or place to look within, to see our failings, to ask for God's forgiveness and continued cleansing than here at the communion time. Here, we block out everything else. Here, we share a one-to-one -one time with our God and our Savior. Here, we can and should truly ask God to forgive us, to give us strength in the face of temptations. Here would I feed upon the bread of God. Here, drink with thee the royal wine of heaven.
Here would I lay aside each earthly load. Here taste afresh the calm, the same feeling of sin forgiven. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin. Set me free. Father in heaven, we come for another cleansing. We come for forgiveness. We come in a repentant attitude. We come asking you to cleanse us through the blood of Christ once again. Because we've gotten dirty, Father, even since we were here together last week, we've gotten a little dirty. So cleanse us with your cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You turn your bulletin, you'll see our announcements. Uh, normal things today. We got our, our junior, the teenage stuff. Uh, Roger's having his life group uh, course this week. We've got normal things like stitches of love. Uh, we've got our Bible studies. Um, Thursday's Brandon, Al Brandon's life group. What's different though is next Sunday at 1220, if you're interested, um, at 1220, the FCC men's ministry team is going to meet. Uh, I talked to Al if you're interested in that. Um, and there's a few other things, what Operation Christmas Child is collecting down there. Soaps, combs, lip balm, dental floss, toothbrushes. That's month of May. Normal things. Yeah, that's it. It's there. But if you turn the back of your bulletin, you'll see our list of praises and prayer concerns. There's a note from Ken Martin. He is home, uh, healing, recovering. You know, pardon me, I, I gotta say it, I gotta say it, because it, it, it makes me chuckle every time I think about it. I just told Larry in the back, I said, you know what I wanna do during announcements time is I wanna announce that the, the FCC leadership team wants to have a special executive session at 3.30 just to tease Jeff when he's away. <laughs> because anytime a minister goes out of town, if the leadership has a special executive meeting, the minister always panics. And I just wanted to mess with Jeff and it just keeps rolling my mind man, I really want to. I, li I like teasing him. Oh, well. I wanted to share that with you. Back on track. I'm sorry, family. I'm sorry. Let's get back on track. 
All right, I'll list our, our praises and prayer concerns. Of course, those special concerns are prayer for our nation, um, keeping law enforcement safe, things like that. It's nice to see some, some of our health concerns are, are getting better. Please keep praying for them. And of course, our, our deployed troops and our shut-ins, as always. Um, this, this month, we're doing outreach at Peach's Pantry. Keep them in your prayers as they're searching for a new location. That is a, that's a big one, especially in Sierra Vista. You, you guys know real estate and trying to find room to operate. It's, it's difficult. And our mission that we're, we're foco- focusing on is uh, Southern Mexico Mission. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll stand. Uh, we'll have just a, a few brief moments of silence. We'll, we'll pray, and then I'll pray loudly, and we'll have a song, and we will leave this building, and we are going to go face the world and tell them that Jesus loves them. Let's, let's stand together. Lord, thank you for this church. Uh, thank you for this body of believers. Uh, thank you for the fact that we can come here freely and loudly proclaim we love you. Uh, thank you for the fact that we have that freedom in this country that people have fought and died for. Lord, I ask you to uh, look after this church and, and all the requests that we lift up to you on a weekly basis. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for understanding our pains, our sorrows, our hurt, our stresses. God, thank you for just, just knowing us. Lord, I ask you as, as we leave this building, uh, will you give us the strength, the courage, the ability? Will you put someone in our path that needs to hear about you? And will you give us the ability to tell them about you? Father, thank you for this life. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.